famous words, these things I have spoken to you that. And we talked about that last week. We talked about what does it mean? All the things that Jesus said from John 13, instituting communion as we know it today, washing the feet of the disciples, serving them, everything that Jesus went over in those chapters was told to them for a purpose, that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, and that's where we get that Strong's number 2293, cheer up, for I have overcome the world. See, there was a heaviness that was on the disciples at that moment. Leading up to that verse, there was a heaviness. He had just explained to them about a scattering that was coming, and these hardships and difficulties. Now, mingled in there with some awesome things. Whatsoever things you say in my name, so it shall be for you. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good promise, but that was overshadowed by this, this scary uncertainty. What does he mean we're gonna be scattered? And you see Peter, like I, everybody else might scatter, but not me. Obviously, he lived to prove that to be wrong. But there was this heaviness, and Jesus says, cheer up. I didn't really talk about this last week, but has anybody in here ever heard the word somebody said like, cheer up, or spoken the words to somebody? Like you may be encountering a difficult situation and you feel the need to encourage your spouse maybe, your siblings, your children, your friends, cheer up. Like you're not a victim of this circumstance. This circumstance may be opposed to you, it may be difficult, may be hard, it might be horrible, it may be the worst of the worst, but we still have a choice whether or not we're going to have sorrow or cheer up. And we can have that cheer up mentality because of one thing. Now, in Christianity today, and this is a little, we're deviating a little bit, in Christianity today there's these camps where sometimes we believe that all the promises in the Bible are ours, here and now, and some, some camps of Christianity believe none of the promises of God are for us here and now. They're all for the sweet by and by. And then there's people, there's groups, and probably the vast majority of Christianity falls somewhere in between. And so we, we begin to measure our ability to cheer up by the things that we experience and see. We just sang the song, The Goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God, and we're going to get into the goodness of God a little bit later, the entire message is about the goodness of God this morning. And I, I dare say that that's my goal, that every message that I preach is about the goodness of God. But we think, we sing in that song that I'm living, I have lived in the goodness of God. And we can sing that here today, man, this morning in, in 2022, we can sing, we've lived, the, now we said we've lived some hardships, but we can declare with the songwriter, with the psalmist, that we have lived the goodness of God. But how many of you know that that statement is no less true for a first century Christian about to be eaten by a lion? It's not de dependent on circumstances. The goodness of God, but there's a whole bunch of Christianity that's like, well, yeah, when you're living in tons of provision, then you can declare you're living the goodness of God. But when you're living in lack, you're looking for the goodness of God. No. The goodness of God is not dependent on your bank account. The goodness of God is not dependent on your physical well-being. Although I believe with everything inside of me, we're to be healthy people. We're to walk in supernatural health. 
We're to stand on the word of God for provision, for, for sure. But those things aren't the flags or the markers of God's goodness. That's not the tape measure. I always accept Sunday mornings have a tape measure. And I actually just reached for it because I was going to show you. This is not the tape. I always have a tape measure. It's very weird to have this instead of a tape measure. But that's not the measuring device, our circumstances. Because if it was then God's goodness is a transient thing. It comes and goes, and we're not sure. Like, maybe on Saturday we say God is good, and on Sunday it's like, I don't know. We got bad news. This is the T for what we're going to talk about today. We spoke last week how good news doesn't spread very fast. Is it an interesting human phenomenon? It doesn't. In fact, good news usually makes it one tell in, and then it's done. It's like somebody called, hey, so-and-so, Oh, oh, back up a second. Bad news spreads like wildfire. It's like so-and-so was in a car accident. Well, then like the old game of telephone when you're in kindergarten, it starts down here, so-and-so was in a terrible car, or a car accident. By the time you get down here, it's a terrible car accident with a pile-up, tons of fatalities. The intersection is going to be closed for years. It's like, well, 10 people, it was just like somebody rear-ended somebody. It was a bad deal. And by the time we get down here, we're speaking We just add, and it spreads. And every time it spreads, it's like, maybe, maybe vehicles were totaled. So let's just say, I think vehicles were totaled. Well, the next person repeats that as like, vehicles were totaled, lives were lost. It's like, a guy rear-ended somebody, and he was looking at his phone, which never happens to you guys, but looking at his phone, and he rear-ended somebody, and before you get to the eighth share, but good news, now let that story, let there be an injury in this car accident. And that spreads fast, man. Somebody was injured in this car accident. I'm not speaking that prophetically. I'm talking about this for just understanding this principle. It's metaphorical. So somebody was injured. Well, now let that person go to the hospital and in an hour or two later receive some healing or even just in the natural get better. It's like the individual's parents are probably going to find out that they're better. Maybe they're siblings. But beyond that, it's like, I don't know, they got hurt and they're in the hospital. All the people that know about the accident, they have no idea if they're better or not. We don't feel compelled to carry good news with the same intensity that we carry bad news. Bad news, it's like, man, you know what? It's two in the morning, but I got to share this bad news. Good news, it's like, I don't know. It's like eight. I'm not sure if they're up anymore. Maybe I'll see them tomorrow or next week or next year. I'll tell them about the good news. There's no urgency or intensity when we share good news. We talked about this last week in depth. It travels like, bad news travels like a wildfire. I, I used the, uh, I wanted to, I didn't get this metaphor out last, or this picture out last week, but does everybody here, some of you maybe, some of the young people here may not remember this, and I'm still a young person, but I do remember this. Anybody remember Hurricane Katrina? Remember when it happened? It ripped through the Gulf Coast terrible And everybody, maybe you remember where you were when you heard about it. Maybe you remember footage from it. But let me ask you, do you remember seeing footage with anywhere near the same level of intensity on the rebuilding efforts? It's like most people don't know if it ever rebuilt. Maybe it's still like it was. It was like over a decade ago. We don't share that rebuilding. We don't share that restoration naturally. But as believers, and this is bringing up to this morning, this morning, we get to carry good news. 
And I invite you, as we go from this place, and I'm not done, don't everybody start, Matt, sit back down, we're not done yet. But as we go from this place, I invite you to share with intensity the good news of Jesus. This morning, I have dubbed it Perspective Sunday. Everybody, there's all these different Sundays throughout the year. I've dubbed this morning Perspective Sunday. It has been said that life is perspective. Well, we could sit here and argue about the details of that statement, whether we agree or disagree, but the reality we must all acknowledge is that very much of our experience of this life is rooted in our perspective. The American Heritage Dictionary defines perspective this way. It is, uh, listen close here, this is, they kind of sound like the same, but listen close. An understanding of how aspects of a subject relate to each other and to the whole. That's one of their definitions. The other one, one of the other ones is the ability to perceive things in their actual interrelations or comparative importance. That's how they define perspective. So perspective is the ability to perceive. Perceive is the action of perception. To perceive things the way they actually are, and the way they actually relate to each other, to us, to the subject of this life. Perspective is not what we see. Rather, it is how we see what we see. And how we see something determines almost entirely how we react to it and interact with it. For instance, I like for instance. You guys, if you've been here for any length of time, you know I pretty much operate solely in the for instance, in the metaphors, in the way, the simple stories to understand things. Shadows on the wall in a dark room. For any of you that have been parents of small children, shadows can ruin your night's sleep. The wrong shadow at the wrong place can ruin your night. Now, you realize it's a shadow from a branch. But if your child perceives that shadow to be a hand, a giant hand reaching for them. No one sleeps because the tree's hand could get you. Young children see shadows oftentimes as threats and, repl- and react or respond accordingly. But you know, older children, they begin to see them as entertaining. The same shadows, the same principle. We all know that a shadow isn't a thing. Like, you understand that a shadow is simply the absence of light in an area caused by a thing, but usually shadows are way bigger than the real thing. Anybody make, like, shadow puppets on the ceiling or on the wall? And it's like, your hand can become a dog or an alligator, or if you're good, it can become all kinds of exciting things. So older children see the same principles of a shadow, and they see them as entertaining and react accordingly. You guys see how perspective changes? Is that, I mean, it, it's really, really simple, but I want to... I want to drive this home because as we move into this gospel message, it's really, really important to understand our perspective in this life determines how we experience this life and how we interact with this life and with each other. What is this gospel and what does it weigh in our lives? What our perspective on the gospel is will determine how we relate to the gospel. And what is our perspective as a result of this gospel? You see, today, 
even this morning here, we've used the word gospel, I've said it probably a dozen or more times. It was mentioned in the introduction to worship. We worshiped from the perspective of this gospel. But I dare say, and I'm experiencing this interacting with people, not with anyone in specifically in this room, but just society that claims Christianity as their heading, as their, can we articulate when you say the word gospel or hear the word gospel, what is our ability or our understanding or our perspective and our ability to articulate that? Because we, we can say, we're going to preach the gospel. And if I gave everybody in this room a little three-by-five note card, could you fill that with what I said? And I'm, this isn't, don't hear pressure, don't anybody get like, oh, I hope he doesn't do that. Not going to do that exercise. I want to encourage and equip the purpose of the gifts that we've been given as we corporately worship is to equip each other, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. Carrying this message, this good news message to the world, carrying it accurately, explaining it with clarity. Now, there's a freedom here. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? We're just branches. And there's a lot of people in Christianity that get this message of sharing the gospel or doing the work of the ministry, and they start putting a bunch of pressure on themselves. I have to get people born again. I have to get people healed. I have to, like, our job is only to carry the message. We don't change anybody's hearts. The Holy Spirit goes before us and goes behind us. Our job is simply to plant seeds and to water as we encounter each other. But see, our perspective on this gospel, and this was going to be the second part. This may be a three-part deal till we're done. Our perspective on the gospel determines how and whether we carry it. Does that make sense to everybody? How we see this good news determines whether and how we carry it. For instance, if your understanding and my understanding is limited to the gospel as good news. So we go, I'm supposed to take the good news to people. I go to work tomorrow, and hey, do you know the gospel? No, what's the gospel? Well, it's good news. Have a great day. Nobody's lives are changed. It's just kind of a weird conversation. It's like, I don't know, that was awkward and a little weird. There wasn't any perspective. I don't even know what is, good, what, do you, what is this good news. And I would ask you, this is my question for this morning I want to kind of pose in the center of this teaching. As a human today, we all need money. We all need Money to pay for life, we need things, okay? I want to pose this question. If we presented, if we were presented this morning, or not even this morning because it's on Sunday and we're at church, and so there's this whole like, I don't know, that feels weird because it's a church question. Like Tuesday, after your car needs a new engine or transmission or some other life experience happens, on Tuesday, you're presented with the opportunity for all the money you could ever want. I mean like big money. We can use even Billions with a B if you want. All the position you could ever want in society. Everything. You want to run a company? No problem. Big company? Fine. Small company? No problem. Power and relationships. So if you can get money, position, power, and relationships, they're all presented to you on a platter. They're all tangible. Real things. It's like you can see the money stacked up and it's like there's more where that came from. Or... Same Tuesday, same everything in your life, same needs, maybe some same difficulties and lacks. 
this, this platter over here is all these things. This platter over here, you can be right with God. And that's it. Like, there's nothing. It's just right with God. No stacks of stuff. No titles. No, like, hey, there's going to be more money. Where that. It's just, you're just permanently, forever fixed. Never to be wrong with God again. You're right with God. Now, like I said, if we ask that question this morning, it's like, of course we're going to pick right with God. We are in church. But what's the very next question that each person in their heart of hearts asks? Because we all know, and I'm just pretty wound about this this morning, we all know that if eternity is real, and if eternity is forever, we don't even understand, we don't even have words for forever other than the word forever and eternity. We don't, like, infinite. Okay, really, we're gonna define that? There's words that you can find definitions for it, but we don't even have a framework for it. But if eternity is real, if it's forever, and if God is real, and God is forever, the answer is already made for you. What would you choose? Right with God, of course. Regardless of all the tangibles, if we really believe all of those things to be true, right with God is hands down what we choose. We ask ourselves, is eternity and God real? So if you, if you pose that question to coworkers, to friends, to family, to people you interact with, and you pose that exactly like I just did, and everyone's being honest, it would come down to whether eternity is real. It's like, well, if eternity is real, definitely choose right with God. If eternity's not real, then I definitely would just want the money and the stuff and the position and all that here, because it's like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. But we know as believers, eternity is real. My question to us today, what's our perspective on eternity? See, Ecclesiastes Chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 reads, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? Verse 10, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. Verse 11, He, being God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. See, our society is one of the very first societies in existence that questions the existence of God. I, every, I, I take that back. Lots of societies have questioned. But we are the, it's a pretty young belief that God is dead or doesn't exist. Do you understand this? I want to I wanna share, I, I wrote some of this stuff out, which I struggle to read. I like to just talk. But I'm going I'm to share some of what I read here, or what I wrote. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created humanity in his own image. Everyone follows that. In chapter three, we see Eve and Adam eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From this moment on, humanity has had the knowledge of good and evil. When we couple this with the reality that eternity has been placed in the hearts of all men, we see the magnitude of right and wrong. We naturally, this is all on our own. This is apart from, we ain't reading Matthew through Revelation at this point. We're just talking, I'm just reading right here, real simple. Naturally, on our own, those two things, the awareness of good and evil, right and wrong, and the reality of eternity, which the Bible says was placed in the hearts of all mankind. 
we naturally, on our own, we begin some sort or form of quest or path towards experiencing, and I put it in quotations, good. The right, the good, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of experiencing that for the rest of eternity. This task and the path of relating to life after death is not unique to Christianity. It's a worldwide perspective that spans all cultures and all generations. The idea that God is dead or that there is no God or eternity is a fairly young idea, and it's quite clearly absurd. We're not going to get into all the details of that right now. We could preach for several weeks on the absurdity of saying there is no God. Because where there is an articulate creation, we as humans simply, very clearly, baseline, kindergarten knowledge understand there was a creator, this building we're sitting in was created from a design. They did not haul red iron in, and Jerry's taught exquisitely on this in the past. They didn't haul red iron in, dump a whole pile of concrete, some bolts, pile it all up with some insulation and some HVAC stuff, and poof, we're here. But just wait longer. If you wait longer, the concrete just gets harder, the steel gets rustier, and before you know it, you've just got kind of like a, I don't know, was it a dump? Did a bomb go off? What happened? Nothing organically creates and becomes order. Now, I'm not going to preach on that this morning. It's quite clearly absurd. The awareness of eternity and the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, very quickly leads us into performance. Everybody tracking this? It's like, okay, if there is good and evil, and we know there is, every human that's ever been born is aware of good and evil. Every human that's ever been born is aware of eternity. Those two things, apart from anything that we're carrying as the body of Christ, leads us to performance. And just as quickly, performance leads us to hopelessness. As on our own, we will fail more than we will succeed. We will do wrong more naturally than we will do right. We must, church, I encourage us as we share this gospel, we must have an honest perspective of ourselves and right and wrong to come to this conclusion. You have to. Because what we tend to do, at least I think most of us, is like our things that are wrong, the things that we particularly fail in, was like, that's like a different category. Obviously it's wrong, but it's less wrong because I'm doing it. If someone else was to do it, it would be very wrong, but since it's me, it's like not disqualifyingly wrong, it's just like, I don't know, I'm like working on that. Does everybody follow that? It's not, you're, everyone's staring at me like, that's not me. I understand, that's just me. We put, our, we put our own failures, our own mistakes, they're in like a third category. There's right and wrong, good and evil, and then there's like our stuff. Like, that's a separate deal. But if we really boil it all down and we dump that box, that third box out, and we're like, okay, I'm disqualified. We all come to the point where we're disqualified. We're not gonna be right with God on our own. It's like the, it's, and everyone, if they're being honest, can say that. We need saved. As humans in this life, we need saved, which means we need a savior. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17 reads, for I am not ashamed, this is Paul writing to the church at Rome, or churches in that area, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it, and I always add in, my, like in the context, it and it alone is the power of God to salvation. That it alone part, if you're questioning whether that's there, read Romans 3, 4, 5, and 6, and you'll see that it is there. The only power of God to salvation is the gospel of Christ. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile, for in it, the gospel of righteousness, or the gospel of Christ, for in it, the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want to take a minute right now and just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are here with us, that your spirit, your spirit is in our midst, in our hearts and in our midst. We thank you for the clarity of this gospel, for the intricacies and articulate nature of the book of Romans. Lord, I just thank you for sending your spirit to inspire these words to the Apostle Paul, that he could pen them with clarity for us to understand your goodness in this gospel. I just pray clarity right now over the words that we speak, the words that we hear in Jesus' name. The gospel and God's goodness are not natural things. In fact, as I shared at the beginning, the gospel and God's goodness are no less true for someone about to be eaten by a lion in the Colosseum in Rome just for being a Christian. They're no less true for them than they are for a wealthy, healthy Christian businessman living in a house on the beach. God's goodness is not measured by natural things. In fact, God's goodness was measured 2,000 years ago on the cross. It was measured and it was found to be extravagant. The goodness of God is extravagant. The gift of God is right standing with him. In light of the magnitude of eternity, we just talked about the, I mean, we didn't get into definitions, but in light of the magnitude of eternity and the magnitude of our sin, when we couple those together, the gospel changes everything. It changes everything. When we accurately perceive the gospel, our, perspe- our perspective, our perception of the gospel, it will shift every part of how we live our lives. So what is this gospel? It's my job as I preach the gospel, I prepare the word to equip us Share the gospel so that when you're pushed, when you're shoved, when you're squeezed, when life, the attacks of the enemy, the difficulties of this life squeeze us, the gospel is what comes out. So I was hoping that my good friend Kirk was going to be here this morning. We had an experience. This is wintertime. He's back in the back corner. Everyone... Kirk, can you raise your hand and wave at everyone sitting by Trey? So years ago, uh, we've run around together for a long, long time. Years ago, we decided it would be a good idea to go snow skiing. And I believe I've shared this with you guys, but it's been a while. And so I just want to, every time it gets cold and snows, I feel like I want to share this story. We went snow skiing, and and, and Kirk, like he didn't grow up snow skiing, but he's quite gifted at balance and whatnot. So we were skiing and night skiing, and um, the place we were skiing had a... um, the, the skills, the jumping and the all, all kinds, the, what do you call it? 
Yeah, Terrain Park. And we had kind of been, we went down that some once in a while here and there. And we decided for our last run down, because it was the end of the night, last run down, we're going to go down that run. So there's a group of, I don't know, six to eight or ten of us up there. And we were all kind of like lining up. Everybody got off the chairlift at different times. And we were kind of lining up at the top of this, you know, where all these jumps are and stuff. And we were all going to go down together. And so we're all kind of there, and we're waiting for Kirk. And this next chairlift comes, and some guys get off. And we see this guy, and he goes right by us, just hauling. It's like, wow, confident. (laughs) This guy is confident. And we see him go down and no, like, you know, the side-to-side cutting so that we engage things carefully. None of that. It was a straight down. And then we see him launch. And it looked like a setup for a yard sale. I mean, it was like skis every which way, poles, and a high, like very high. And someone, I don't know who it was, mentioned in our group, look at that idiot. And then another someone looked down the row and he's like, hey, I think that's our idiot. And so we took off down there to get to the bottom and we found him. I mean, he's lucky he wasn't impaled. It was Kirk. He was not, we were as lucky he was not impaled on his skis, impaled on his poles. The poles were bent. The skis were every which way and he was like face first in the snow. And we get there and it was, uh, we were worried. We had not been in a lot of traumatic experiences and it was like, I don't know, what do we even do? So we're like, we should determine if he's had a concussion. He's breathing. We figured out he's breathing. We should determine if he had a concussion. So we're like, we rolled him over on the snow. We're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And he was kind of fumbling, mumbling his words, not real clear. And we're trying to figure out what's a question. We ask him like, well, who's the president of the United States? I know who the president is. What's your birthday? I know when my birthday is. But he won't tell us these things. We're like, what's another question that he would just that would prove to us that he is not, like, lost it. And somebody yelled out, what's the firing order of a 6.2 diesel engine? And he rattled it right off. We're like, oh, he must be fine. Turns out he had a, did have a quite serious concussion. A whole bunch of stuff was wrong with his legs, which he's been healed from since then. What I'm telling you, the reason I told you this story is after a massive impact with the earth, he jumped, launched, totaled a set of ski equipment, wound up with a concussion in the hospital later that night. It was a whole deal. In that moment, when pushed and squeezed, and he wasn't really sure what gravity was, he knew the firing order of an engine, a specific engine with a specific firing order. Now, that's not the gospel, although if you're overhauling a 6.2, it would be like the gospel truth. You need to know these things. But as a As a believer, when we find ourselves in that spot, not really sure which is up, not really sure which is down, not really sure how to fix this, not really sure if I know anything, it must be the gospel that comes out. Someone says, what's your name? I don't remember my name. What's, who's the president? I'm not sure who the president is. Uh, What's, what state do we live in? I'm not sure. What's the gospel? Oh, I know this one. And out comes the gospel. But do we know it? So we've talked about perspective. We've talked about the importance of getting this into us. Do we know what the gospel is? And do we recite it and rehearse it? I'm not talking about practice for performance. I'm talking about reciting it in our lives. Because everything, every good gift of God, everything that is poured out, 
The Bible says that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Church, the way the blessings of God, the promises of God flow into our lives, the path they all take is through the gospel. If you look back in all of biblical history, you will see a blessing. You will see things flow to people. You will see uh, when the Israelites were taking over Canaan, what did you see? Moses is at the end of his life, he's tossing the keys to Joshua. Then you see Joshua at the end of his life tossing the keys to the next leaders of Israel, and he says, a thousand flee before one of you. Why is that? Because they enjoyed right standing with God. Every blessing that we see in Scripture flows through the gospel. The gospel is very simple, very simply put. Romans chapter 3, pick it up in verse 21, reads, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being freely justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul goes on in Romans chapter six, verse 23. He goes on and says the wages of sin. Sin pays us a wage. The wages of sin is death. Does this sound like good news to anybody? This ain't good news yet. We read a little bit of it in Romans chapter three, but it ain't good news yet. But Ephesians, Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter two, and he says, but God, verse four, who is rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we, church, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Are we at good news? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Everybody say, good news. The good news of the gospel is we have the opportunity to put faith and trust in Jesus for our right standing with God. We have sinned. Everyone knows they've sinned. You know, telling someone they're a sinner headed to hell isn't good news. In fact, Most people, it's not even news. It's not even news. If they're honest at a heart level, what we're talking about, getting past all the fluff, getting past all the the circumstantial answers, the, the top stuff, 
The, the uh, intellectual answers. Well, intellectually speaking, you know, we know we've blown it. We know we've blown it. Somewhere, somehow, sometime. But the good news that we get to carry is that Jesus has made us right with God. Back to the question that I asked you in the very beginning of this teaching. We got about 10 minutes left. The question that I asked you in the very beginning of this teaching is, would, you, would we take money, position, power, relationships, all the things that are sold on television for three easy payments in 1999, would we take all of those things or would we take right standing with God? I dare say, church, if we have an accurate perspective of the gospel, we easily and clearly answer and say we have received right standing with God because of Jesus and that is greater than all the world has to offer. Anything and everything the world has to offer pales in comparison to being right with God. I've, I've interacted with several people in the last several months that are battling and struggling and kicking and clawing against depression and anxiety and worry and fear. And there are clinical answers to these things. And I'm not mad at anyone that's involved in clinical answers. But I believe, church, that if we were doing our job carrying the gospel accurately and in perspective, in light of everything, you can say with the first century Christians, nearly they were about to be devoured by lions. We'll sing of the goodness of God. The perspective, everything in this life pales. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then all of our preaching is in vain or empty. And your faith be in vain or empty or void of substance. But we know, we know Christ was raised from the dead. And in light of Christ being raised from the dead, in light of him carrying the sins of all mankind, in light of what we just read, he became the propitiation. He became the sacrifice. He was the only one that could. We can't even pay for our sins. You say, well, I don't know if I want to believe in Jesus for salvation. You can't pay for them. Even our lives don't pay for our sins. Jesus was the only one who could pay for them. As Jesus was fixing to leave his disciples, the night before he was crucified, he left them with his spirit. And he left them with the greatest news that anyone has ever had to share. This is why we see in the book of Acts, the disciples were so sold out to the message of the gospel, to the point that they were willing to be beaten, imprisoned, tortured, and killed every which and creative way. They understood that the news that they carried was more important than anything, including their lives. There was nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ because humanity from time past to us today are trying to find a way to be right with God. Today in our generation, the perspective is just turn the volume up so we don't have to think about eternity. Get a couple more devices going. You won't have to think about eternity. And yet, as the last couple years has shown us, eternity keeps surfacing. It keeps coming up. 
Hey, did you hear so-and-so passed away? Hey, did you hear so-and-so passed away? Eternity keeps coming up. People keep crossing the river into eternity. Eternity keeps surfacing. So what do we do? Our answer in society, not as a church, the society's answer is another device, turn it up louder, another device, turn it up louder, another device, turn it up louder. And as the church, we're largely not, I'm not talking to you guys specifically, I'm saying the church largely, we just kind of sit idly by, it's like, well, I know where I'm going. What? We're carrying the greatest message. You know, I look across this, this just everyone that's here, like, there's so many different professions, different vocations, different life goals, different families represented. This church is stacked for talent, not just musical talent. Across the board, this church is stacked with people that have all kinds of gifts and abilities, and I am for all of those gifts and abilities, but all of them were given to us for the purpose, I dare say, of spreading the gospel, if you're an engineer, engineer to the glory of God and let everyone know. See, there's this belief system today that it's like, and we've talked a lot about this. I don't mean to get off on this. We've talked a lot here at The Rock about it that like, well, we're just gonna, we're, and I'm for living the gospel out by all means, but there comes a point where we gotta go beyond like, well, hopefully someone saw that I did the right thing and they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because I did the right thing. That's doing the right thing's great. Absolutely, I'm for us doing the right thing. But there comes a point when you do the right thing and someone's like, wow, I noticed you did the right thing. Or maybe they don't even say that. Where we have to speak the gospel. You know, in the early church, the disciples had the opportunity. You know, they wouldn't have got beaten and they wouldn't have got thrown in jail just for holding their beliefs. You understand this? They could believe whatever they wanted. How many of you know today you can believe whatever you want and no one's going to throw stones at you, no one's going to throw rocks at you, no one's going to run you off the road? Just keep quiet about it. Just believe whatever you want and keep quiet about it. And the disciples, we're not going to get into this, they get beat in acts with rods, sticks. I mean, beat hard by big, strong soldiers, not like a couple of kids in the schoolyard, like properly beaten to a pulp thrown in prison, and they come out the next morning and they're like, listen, buddy, we didn't kill you. We beat you. Knock it off. Stop preaching this gospel. You're undermining all of the stuff we've got going. Stop. And while their backs are still raw, possibly bones broken, they're like, listen, I understand you're upset about this. There is nothing we can do but preach what we have seen, and we have seen the Messiah. We can't stop. And so what do they do? Then they go to the church and they're like, listen, our backs are pretty sore, but what we really need you to pray for, boldness. What? Why not just believe? Maybe someone will just see you living like Jesus and ask you about it. No, no, we gotta go, we gotta go preach. We gotta go share it. We're gonna speak it. They said they're going to kill you. I know, but we have to share this. The magnitude, this is Perspective Sunday. It's the first annual Perspective Sunday. And as we take an accurate look, I invite you to step back from your life. I invite you to step a row or two or three back from your life and look at your life in the accurate perspective of receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been given, I have been given right 
standing with God. The magnitude of that just blows me away. We have the right, because of Jesus, to stand before God. And it's not tentative, church. It's not like, hopefully, you die and you're still born again. It's done. It is sealed and finished. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus to stand in your defense, you are right with God. Last week, my encouragement was cheer up. Welcome to the future. Cheer up. My encouragement this week is just the same. Cheer up. When we go from this place, church, we carry ourselves differently. I'm not elevating anyone in this room. I'm elevating the person of Jesus and an accurate perspective of the gospel. When we encounter the broken world, The broken world will try to overwhelm you. Depression, people that are experiencing depression, that symptom will try to overwhelm you. Hardship, broken homes, difficult situations, it will try to overwhelm us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And as we view our lives, as we renew our minds, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 12 to talk about renewing our minds As we, as the body of Christ, who is born again and been made right with God, as we renew our minds to that daily, and the reason it takes daily is because, how many of you know the world is trying to renew your mind to the opposite? Daily, hourly, moment by moment. So as we renew our minds to the magnitude of God's grace and the gospel, the reality that as believers in Christ, you are right with God, as we renew our minds to that, we do carry ourselves differently. We encounter storms totally differently. We encounter hardship totally differently. It's not that there's not hardship. It's not that there's no storms in this life as a believer. Jesus said in this life, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart, cheer up. I'm with you. I've overcome the world, and I'm with you. So we encounter storms. We encounter difficulties. We encounter sickness. We encounter death. We encounter hardship, but we encounter it completely differently. We as believers with an accurate perspective on the gospel, when we encounter hardship, our our entire outlook on the world is unflappable because no hardship can touch your righteousness. No difficulty changes your right standing with God. As we get ready to leave this morning, I would like to, I did this last week, I want to do it again this week. I'd like to ask you all to stand. I want to read this over you. A declaration as we go from this place. Here at Revelation Rock, we believe in this strong family. And we believe in strong family values. We believe in healthy marriages and raising godly children. We believe that right and wrong were determined in the word of God and not by societal norms or the deceptive pressure of the enemy. We believe that the grace of God is greater than any and all force of nature or force outside of nature. And that we are experiencing the goodness of God right here and right now by that very grace. If you are here today and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now a co-heir with Christ. 
you have become the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. We are now partakers in the promise of God. And we are blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Blessed when we rise up and blessed when we lie down. The very spirit of God dwells within us. And I believe the steps of the righteous grow brighter and brighter day by day. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for this body of believers. Father, I pray a blessing over each of us as we go out into this world that we carry the gospel with us. That it's as handy to us as our phone, as handy to us as our car keys, that the gospel is always on our mind and always on our lips. That we practice the gospel, not practice to try and earn something, but just keep it in the forefront of our minds. Father, we thank you that we receive from you this gift of right standing with God and that it is greater than any and every difficulty and any and every good thing we experience in this life, that right standing with you is the end all, be all of our existence. Father, I just pray a blessing over this body as we go from this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.